This episode of the Educated Ignorance Podcast is brought to you by the For Frequency Sake Podcast Network. Subscribe to the For Frequency Sake Podcast Network on your favorite podcast platform for the newest episodes of the Data Lab with Professor John Bush and Dennis Mickelson, as well as new episodes every week of Card Subject to Change, our new wrestling podcast with CZ and Nick. And three times a week, releasing episodes on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Fridays, the Educated Ignorance Podcast. On Mondays, you will get full breakdowns of the Sunday night football game, as well as a couple quick-hitting topics from some of the NFL action on Sunday. Tuesday will be a quick-hitting reaction of the Monday night football game, as well as a full slate review of the Sunday games, the biggest and broadest topics from the weekend of football, as well as some college football stuff. And, of course, that Tuesday will be the Elite Eight episode each week for the NFL season, where we reveal the top eight teams, according to myself in the NFL. And then on Friday, we will be releasing each week a big kind of preview for the weekend's games coming up, as well as the Sinister Six podcast every week with Mac. Fulton, he will be joining us every week for the Sinister Six uh, joint venture of NFL games and college games throughout the year. Our best big, our best six picks of the weeks. We will also have some betting stuff in there as well against the spread, over unders, things like that. So stay tuned for those three episodes a week of the Educated Ignorance Podcast here on the Four Frequency Sake Podcast Network. <laughs> Well, I thought we were going to have a lot more fun on this segment than we are about to, but we're about to have some serious talk. Uh, we're joined by Nick Pearson. It's been a while. been about a month, month to change. You're at least a monthly regular. Um, we're going to hear you a lot more in the near future when we do some baseball stuff. Uh, hopefully, hoping you can keep your baseball streak alive. Or are you just prepared yeah. to, to epically fail this year? Or are you um, going to pick wrong I, intentionally? Uh, if I were anybody listening to this and trying to take my uh, betting odds from baseball from last year, I would fade the fuck out of you this year. <laughs> well, but, but again, in fairness, you were literally bang on the banana for like all but maybe one series? No, I hit every single series last year. Okay, yeah, you hit every single one. Okay, I didn't know and if you I had missed one. I almost hit every single series to the game. Well, yeah, it was very freaky, but here we are. So I brought Nick on because as people have heard, um, I, I, I sparingly joke around about Nick being our medical expert, but in the sense he is the head athletic trainer uh, down in Mississippi, and you've worked with, what, three hockey teams, two teams, uh, two junior teams, and one as an intern, right? Did I get that right? Or was it three Correct. junior teams? Okay. Nope. It was Indy, which is pro ECHL right. affiliate with uh, the Blackhawks, the Hawks, and then I knew that was your intern. Two but juniors. Then I forgot if it was two or three hockey teams. But now you work down at a high school, and Nick. Always, we always joke that Nick gives us fantastic football stories. Um, they're great, just athletic stories in general. But the reason I wanted to have him come on is because, of course, this is going to be 
it's going to be interesting to see where we go for the next 20 or so minutes because, of course, we want to talk a little bit about the game, but the, that's not going to be the main focal point. We'll probably have a little chime about it here and there, but it's a lot of it is going to be about the ins and outs of how what happened tonight to Tua Tonga how that happened, how that was allowed to happen, the ram the possible ramifications of it, the what should the what should be ramifications of it, as well as you know long term effects. We're, I know we're going to maybe do a lot of speculating, but we're going to do what we can to be as professional and as legit as we can. So that's why I felt like it was important for me to tell, to have Nick come on. And I appreciate you coming on my friend. So let's, let's start. You obviously are very upset as someone who is in your field. The main thing that you feel is, is that this is just negligent malpractice negligence. Let me ask you just the basics, your feelings initially, and just how this can happen. Like, it, this shouldn't be something that is a miss, right? Like, this should be something that is doesn't do – like, it should never get to this point, right? No. That, that's the main thing is after last week, the way that he stood up after you see his head whiplash into the ground and stumble two, three times – before his teammates stop him from trying to walk and they wait for somebody to get out there to him to stabilize him. To then be able to come back last week and then playing tonight for a league that champions how cautious they are with concussions allegedly and how player safety is their top priority, this just screams that that is all lip service it does and it's a bit of a shame because so obviously there was the late the mid to late I guess the middle of the 2010s kind of from what when we got out of high school to about the time um probably like almost the time you ended your college uh or your your time at Rippin, pretty much. So that five-year stretch. So that that was when the NFL was in this weird place where it was kind of hated by national media because there you you had a lot of these concussion-related, CTE-related deaths, the Junior Seau thing. Um, yep. I don't think the Aaron Hernandez thing had quite taken off at that time like it did yet, but you had a lot of those instances, uh, and it got to a place where a lot of people hated the NFL. People really did. Like, ESPN did this entire crazy negative NFL spiel, and the NFL responded to them by giving them shitty games on Monday Night Football, the, the fucking, you know, brand point of your week for the NFL games for five, six, seven years. And obviously now it's completely different how the, how the sport is covered and viewed. But there was a kind of a dark age there in the middle of the 2010s when the league was in a weird, just a weird state. And to their credit, I don't feel like this has been that big of an issue since then. But this is really bad. And I want to ask you, and don't you feel like this is going to now bring up the points of, have we just gotten lucky that if we are allowing guys, because it's one of two things, right? So it's either 
other than Tua, most of the situations have been handled properly with guys being kept out. Or we've just gotten ridiculously lucky where something bad hasn't happened like the Tua thing, right? It's one of, it's, uh, can, can only be those two things, right? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that we have been lucky and that, especially in professional sports, but at all, at all ages and all aspects of sports, I see it even down here at the high school level all the time. Players will never be fully honest about their symptoms and what they are feeling. That is why it is the NFL's job and my job as an athletic trainer and the doctor's job on the sideline and everybody else involved to try to take that decision out of that player's hand. It's not up to them if they think they can play. Uh-huh. It is our job to be able to figure out if you are cognitively and functionally able to play or if you going in and getting hit again puts you at a higher risk of a severe brain injury. And up until now, there haven't been as many times where you look at it and you're like, oh, I don't necessarily agree with that. Obviously, those guys are their professional athletic trainers, professional doctors. They have been around it for forever, and I don't like to second-guess them because I am not there. I'm not hearing what they hear. I'm not seeing the way this guy presents. But the way that he stumbled last week, I talked to all of our athletic trainers down here that I'm associated with, and everyone was like, yeah, it definitely uh, had all the symptoms of it just from seeing it on the field, and everyone was surprised for him to go back in. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as this all happened tonight, that same group blew up about – some heads are probably going to roll for this because the way that he reacted, the way that as soon as he hit, he immediately started. You see the hands clench and do a typical seizure motion. It's called uh, fencing, right? Is I think that's what I saw people calling it. Technically, yes. Yeah. So there are different types of hand positions where you see one hand in a pincer and one hand kind of more splayed out. That just usually indicates different nerves that are firing at that time to cause that the brain sending different signals to different nerves where it's causing that. But that generally happens with either a more traumatic brain injury or getting knocked unconscious. And it's probably a little bit of both in this situation where I have a feeling that a, he was not overly honest about the way that he was feeling last week. All of a sudden you play tonight put yourself at a very high risk where if you get hit again like that, which he did, your symptoms are going to be worse. Your recovery time is going to be worse. Your outcomes are going to be worse. And now we're just going to have to see the way the NFL handles this and just how severe this ends up being for Tua. You mentioned the the point of a guy like, you know, kind of being knocked unconscious or the 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 you kind of called it like he was a it was a seizure more or less. It literally remind like the first thing I thought of was, was like, it looked like a guy in an MMA fight or a boxing fight getting knocked out. Yeah, like, that's exactly. what it looked like. And it, and that's what it is. So that is technically a seizing motion. It is considered a seizure, but it it, it is very very similar to that. It's that same kind of posturing where yep. the brain is sending signals to the to the muscles, to your nerves, and everything just locks up in an attempt to protect itself. So you mentioned about heads rolling. Let me ask you, in your best opinion or whatever you feel, uh, now obviously, you know, we're not holding Nick's feet to the fire here of his opinion is the only opinion. We're just, I just wanted, like I said, I felt 
it was important to get someone I knew that I'm close with that is has is literally a professional in this field and had could chime in on thoughts about it. So that's why I felt it was important to have Nick on. And we'll talk a little bit of certain, you know, analytical stuff for games for the future here soon. But I want to we I really want to hammer home this. But so you mentioned heads rolling and whatnot. In your mind, who does it start with? How does it get this bad? Is it more the training staff just not exactly handling it the right way? Like, obviously, a lot of people are just going to want to look at GM. Oh, I know I know. Stephen Ross, as the owner, is suspended right now. But, like, people are going to want to look at the front office. People are going to want to look at the coaching staff. But is it more just a training staff situation? Or is it is it kind of a little bit of everybody? How would the chain of command in this situation you feel go? Well, I mean, originally this is going to fall on the NFL and their procedures on how a guy gets cleared. Where if the NFL is not providing a very strict return policy of this guy has to be able to clear test A, B, C, have zero symptoms, be cleared by a medical doctor that is there on site, which there obviously are. They have every type of doctor that you can imagine at these games to protect mm-hmm. these guys where it's first going to go to, okay, what are the protocols? And then if those protocols weren't followed, then the heads of the AT staff are going to roll. The heads of the team doctors are going to roll. And then it's also going to come down on the coaching staff in general. Well, this is not going to come down on. I didn't because think so. the way things are set up, the coaching staff has very, very, very little to no say on whether or not a guy returns. The first onus is going to be on what the NFL's policy is. The second one's going to be on was that policy followed? If not, heads are going to roll and the training staff heads are going to roll for the team doctor. Heads are going to roll for front office staff for not. In the end, it falls also on the front office staff of, hey, you're in charge of these people and making sure that they are following the NFL's rules. So it's going to fall back on the Dolphins as well. Yeah, so I can see that. So I don't think Mike McDaniel should get any punishment here. Because um, realistically, wouldn't you believe? I mean, he's the head coach, and he's got 53, uh, 52 other guys on the active roster to handle about. He's not going to sit, go in there and, you know, why would he go in there and be like, hey, I, I'm going to badger our athletic staff like I, 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 there's not oh, people are gonna want some kind of conspiracy like that, but I don't think that's the case. This is just right when just you know what I mean. No, in, in the end, for Mike McDaniel, his the only thing that matters to him is them coming to him and telling him, okay, two is out, two is in. Yep, exactly. He's not going. No matter what he says, he cannot override what their medical doctors are saying or what their training staff is saying. Yep, and the front office I agree with you because that in the sense of the front office does have to hire these people and yeah the front office also should have a sense of like all right you know he went back out there Sunday but we should do a better job of maybe double triple quadruple checking right to make sure especially when the NFLPA and and whoever says they're going to do an investigation on Sunday at that point the, the front office definitely should be like all right we need to you know we need to cross every box or cross every T dot every I on this one, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the big problem with all this is 
none of us know what it looked like on Sunday. Like, who knows? According to what the NFL has in play, he might have passed everything. Yep. But the optics of the way that he looked when he got hit on Sunday. Yes. The stumbling, all of that, to then tonight having to be stretchered off the field is terrible. Yeah, optically, and it opens it's them up really bad. to all of these questions of, okay, what was handled properly? What are the policies and procedures that you're doing? Do we need to relook at things? Obviously, their training staff and doctors are trained in this stuff. They know everything that they should know. But if they are put in a position to fail by the NFL, then they are doing what they can and they follow the right procedures. Now, obviously, if they didn't, then fuck them. No, that's like, I agree. You're putting people's lives at risk. Exactly. And I agree with you. You know, it's such a weird spot for me like I guess not weird, but it you're 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 as me someone who is watching as a fan of Miami, that is clearly known. It's just like how does this happen? And then you're obviously as a fan, you're trying to think of the thousand different ways this impacts but at the end of the day, like I said, the main reason I wanted to come on, and we are probably going to chat about the future for Miami this season and how long we think this could affect them and whatnot here in a moment. But again, as a whole, this is a bad look. It would, Now listen, obviously he shouldn't have played tonight. Be short week, all of that stuff. It, I mean, is it crazy that if he doesn't play tonight, he comes back next week when they play whoever it is they play, and... He this happens that next week. Is it like do people even think about it as bad as we do now? Is it less likely to happen next week where that type of play that he gets snapped back on? Now, granted, it didn't look nearly as bad as the one on Sunday, but obviously you could tell right away that he wasn't he was down and not moving. You know what I mean? So it's weird yeah. how all so, of those things go into effect. In my mind, optically Yes, it would not look as bad. But a large part of that is this misconception that we still have that after a week, you're generally fine from a concussion, <laughs> which is just very simply not true no, in a lot not. of cases. So, like, optically, yes, it would have been better. But in terms of him being 100%, it would have still just depended on how he, who, like, how his brain healed. Like, has he had some before? Did he have some at Alabama? Did he have some in high school where all of a sudden the more you stack up, the longer it takes for you to recover? Mm-hmm. So just because optically it would have looked better if he had sat this week and this happened next week, it doesn't necessarily mean that he would have been less likely for this to happen if he had sat. Exactly. I wanted to touch on that too. And then I was obviously asking you things like, so I asked a question that probably to you sounded like a dumb question, but I had to ask because I was just curious. So they were mentioning a lot of the the back and the ankle stuff, and I was meant just wondering, like, could that be some sort of nerve damage reaction to whatever he got? Like, could that stem from that? You kind of shut that down right away, right? Yeah, so without them releasing specifics, that in itself seems extremely far-fetched. <laughs> Um, That's the weird part, because, too, that they just were like, no, nah, it was his back. Like, what? 
Like, so the back last week thing was weird. Like, you could try to say that it affected certain nerves in his legs that made him unstable when he got back up, which I guess you could make it that if you really look at it. But the odds of that are low, especially with the way he had whiplashed. Mm-hmm. You would have expected it to not just be his legs that were suffering from something. But you, you could have made that argument. But tonight, just – it. Your example of the UFC is a perfect example. That is the body posturing of somebody who has been knocked unconscious. That has oh, yeah. truly been like put out and is having some type of brain trauma. The scary massive minor like that is a position that there's not a question of, oh, is this just a nerve issue there? Like No, no. I understood that. That I could tell right away. The nerve issue thing was I was just trying to piece together when people all week were talking about the back and ankle thing. I'm like, okay, could that maybe be some sort of nerve reaction from him actually getting, you know, dinged up or whatever? I know you hate those terms, but I'm just trying to throw lame no, stuff no, out there. I get what you're saying. But, so that's but- why I was trying to just find out where is the correlation here, unless – they're just actually being horrifically dumb and thinking like, "Oh, LOL, we're we're trying to get one, get away with one here," because that was re- the reason I brought it up is like because it was so weird, like it made no sense to just bring up his back or ankles or whatever, unless that was something that could actually stem from the the head stuff. That's what obviously what happened tonight with his hands and the seizuring and the fencing, as I believe, like we talked, is the correct terminology or whatever. I could tell that was exactly what it was. And the scariest thing is when you mention a UFC or a boxing match, whatever, those it's it's not normal, but it is normal to see that because like a, you could make sense of it right away. Like, oh, a dude just got knocked out and his body stiffens up. It's scarier when yeah, you see it. To, just caught one on the chin. And- yeah, exactly. Yep. And the lights go out in Georgia, right? It's just boom. The This one so much scarier because now granted obviously the 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 ferocity and whatnot that he landed on but his head didn't hit the ground that hard the fact that like he just locked up like that that's the scary part like jesus christ yeah i think that it i think the it really happened when you see him get slung around and it's that whiplash effect yep. where the hard kickback of being slung around like that that force your brain it's essentially like in a car where if you try to stop really hard, mm-hmm. you try and hit the front. It's the same yep. idea with the brain, where the brain then crashes into the front of the skull, and you get bruising and swelling, and that's what a concussion is, is a brain bleed, a light yep. brain bleed, essentially. Yeah, and I knew it right away. All right, we're going to take a quick break, come back. We're going to talk a little bit about the effects for the Dolphins this season. Make sure you tune into For Frequency Sake on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch each Sunday during the football season from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. The boys from For Fantasy Sake will be bringing the fire fantasy football takes, updating you on the week's rankings and injuries, and getting you ready for your fantasy football matchups each and every week. The show is interactive, so be sure to send your questions. You can find them at For Frequency Frequency sake on Facebook at FFSQC on Twitter, or you can send them an email at for fantasy sake QC at gmail.com. 
For fantasy sake, has teamed up with Route 96 Boutique to raise a little more cash for Toys for Tots this season. From September 11th until the end of November, 10% off of all purchases made with Route 96 on Sundays will be donated to us for our Toys for Tots drive. At Route 96, they believe in girl power. They want a place that people of all shapes and sizes can shop and feel empowered and beautiful. They want you to be the best you possible, and they are committed to bringing you different styles while also providing some basics to express the true you. You can find them on Facebook and at Route96Boutique.com. Again, that's Route96Boutique.com. All right, we're back. Let's talk some analytics now with our analysis, I guess I should say, with the future. So Miami, like from the moment the game ended, from that happening, I mean, look, this was a game Miami was in throughout the night. Uh, their run defense was good. Their pass rush was a little, a little underwhelming considering what the 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 Bengals had given up the first few weeks, and considering what the the Dolphins pass rush did against Buffalo on Sunday. But I thought the Bengals were doing a much better job of getting rid of the ball faster. Burrow wasn't really on tonight, but, I mean, at the end of the day, a win a win is a win. People are just going to be mad that it doesn't look as pretty as when they were rolling like last year. But looking for Miami, first, obviously, with Tua being out, in your mind, like, is this an automatic season ender? Is this something that could eventually just be dated? Like, not day-to-day, but week-to-week. How do you feel like this gets now? I mean, obviously, they're going to be much more careful with it now. They obviously had been. Yeah. But if you had to originally just kind of guess, how good of it is it that he was released from the hospital tonight? What kind of signs are those and, and whatnot? No, so that's obviously all very good things. It means that it's nothing significant like career ending. Right. And I don't think this is generally a season ending thing. But it's honestly impossible to guess. Because just like I kind of said earlier where – we don't know how many he's had in his life. Yep. And generally the way these work is let's say you have one and you're out for two weeks. Odds are your next one's going to take more than two weeks for you to recover from. Yeah. So it might be something where this is his first or second and he's been able to recover from them really quickly. And he generally heals up very quickly like that. And we could see him back in a few weeks. Or it could be something where this is his fourth or fifth and the last one took a month or so to recover and all of a sudden we're looking at this next month, a month from now, and he's still not been cleared and it's because he's still experiencing symptoms. He's still having issues. So this could be a week, two-week thing, or this could last six months, eight. It it could last. We've seen it more traditionally last a long time in hockey. We've seen players like Sidney Crosby. Bingo. It's the first thing I always think of. Deal with these long-term concussion symptoms from having them stack up. So that is extremely possible, too, where if it's one that he's been able to consistently hear from them quickly, I have a feeling that we should not count out the Dolphins. Obviously, with Teddy, they're going to have to be significantly more careful. But if this is something that does stretch out, you got to start being 
less optimistic about what you've seen these first three weeks. Yeah, if Tua is out, I think there's a ceiling on what they can be with Teddy because I think Teddy can hold the Teddy can can stop the dam from breaking, but I feel like you're a little more limited with certain stuff. Uh, back on to you mentioned. I'm glad you mentioned Sidney Crosby because I was about to because like that's the first thing I always think of when you think of the dreaded post concussion syndrome extended injury. He missed what a year and a half at least. Just about. It was bad, you know, and yeah, it's no joke. Um, I thought Teddy tonight looked fine. It was nice to see like that third and seventeen right when he came in. I was really glad to see them actually. You know, like, or you would have thought they would have just handed it off and just ate the drive, but but they they actually went for it, and he what the the ball was a little late, so sure for allowed to come back, but they could have easily picked up that first down. Teddy threw an absolute bomb on the second drive, like he yeah, was standing. He was. I, I did not have that. He was standing on his own, like he was standing on like his own five. And it reached the other 10. <laughs> I don't think – I think you're uh, over-exaggerating it a little bit. I believe it was like a 65-ish yard throw, which well, I, was just I saying, didn't think he had in the tank. Well, I was just, which I didn't think he had in the tank. He could be, but I'm – or I could be. But I'm also just trying to remember where they were out on the field because I believe they fair caught the ball off a punt at like the 10 to 12, and that was the second down play, and it was a play-action deep drop. So I was just trying to think in my head where he threw it from. It was had to be around there. Maybe I'm off by five yards or so. But it was ridiculous that he actually just let that fly. Um, great coverage, though, by Awuzie to, like, not let – like, Awuzie was step for step with Hill. <laughs> That's yeah, the crazy part. So, for the record, it was a 64-yard pass. It okay. was a 64-yard gain. He threw it from his own 20. Okay, so that was where the yard marker was. So okay, so he probably was between the fifteen. Threw it from his twenty. They called it on the fifteen. So he, I guess if that was so, no, yeah, okay, 30, okay, yeah, sixty-ish yards. Okay, so that was actually where he threw it from, not the yards gained. Yeah. Okay. Yards gained was sixty-four, but he threw it like seventy-ish. Okay. I was yeah, because it felt it was just crazy. It was like what the fuck, um, but. They obviously run – they have a nice drive. They score at the end of the half with a nice little fancy uh, shovel pass. The offense dies a little in the second half. They have some mo- movement. They're driving – I'm. they're driving on that last drive. I'm like, they're going to fucking win this game. <laughs> and then I'm going to be a dick tonight and all of the worst possibilities because the last thing we should honestly be talking about is the game. But, like, they're going to win. And then they have the miscommunication. Gusecki goes up. Bridgewater rips it, um, and it's a pick. And, you know, there was a lot of – they ran the ball a lot more when Tua went out. And I thought effectively at times. I like the – I love the concepts of the run game. It's straight from the Shanahan stuff. McDaniel is obviously great. I mean, he was their what? He was their – basically their quality control guy at San Francisco, right? Yeah. So he's obviously – like you've seen over the years – there have been a lot of people coming out of there saying that it might be McDaniel doing more of it than Shanahan, which you might be seeing someone of here in the early season. But yeah, what are your? Did you see the the captor at the the? Did you see the video of Jimmy G after he threw that pick uh, late in the fourth, 
pretty much just get yeah. caught on camera saying your play, these plays fucking suck, which was yeah. bold. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's a thing. I mean, let's be honest here. That's also Jimmy being a little bit salty that he was passed over and now he's <laughs> the backup plan. And <laughs> I mean, things what, weren't exactly going well. If Trey Lance would have waited two weeks, the Dolphins would be Jimmy G front runners right now. Yeah, but we also thought that the Cowboys were going to be Jimmy G front runners, and then fucking Rush all of a sudden is. I thought any viable. Yeah, I thought anybody that had that original thought was pretty dumb because I thought the Cowboys should just kind of punt on the season. But the oh, Cowboys. I didn't think the Cowboys were good. Period. But the, hey, the, the fact that they're two and was impressive. And I, the one thing I do like about Cooper Rush, I don't know if you heard, listened to the pod from the other night, but the one thing that Cooper Rush does that I like is he's fearless with pushing the ball down the field. It hides his limitations because at least yeah. with him pushing the ball, you keep a bo- a lighter box and you always have the threat of, of you know, using the deep part of the field. So, uh, but back to this with Teddy. Teddy, as a guy that can throw vert, like, like the way this offense can work, like I think he can be good in it. Obviously, murky stuff with him can get, can just be that, can be murky. I do believe that there's a ceiling on this team if he is the quarterback for the rest of the year. The biggest thing, obviously, that sucks, other than just Tua's health. I mean, that was freaky, and we hope he's okay. But we were starting to find out if Tua was the guy you could trust for a long season, and now it's just like, God damn it. We don't know. Yeah. And it sucks because not only – this team's loaded. This team is abs- – they've done all the right things, man, other than – tampering with Brady and Peyton, whatever, but logist and the Flores thing. But actually, when it comes to the on-the-field product, they've done all the right things, all of them. They've built a good roster. They've done the right things. They've taken risks that have panned out, obviously, with Tyreek. And now it's just like, God damn it, man. It's so now you have to worry about if this does sideline Tua for a while. Do you know what to do with him coming into the offseason with a lot of quarterbacks going to be available? If he is out the entire year, I think they're going to just say fuck it and go for broke and go for whoever's out there. Whether it be Lamar, though I'm really starting to think that they're going to just franchise tag him. I really think that's... Forever? Yeah, because they have the ability to. Um who else is going to be out there? I mean, Jimmy G, but uh, they could go after him. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Tannehill? No, I'd rather die. <laughs> not, not trying to get Ryan, Jake DeLome, Tannehill on my team again. Now, granted, it's been fun. Maybe the Raiders want to trade Derek Carr. I don't know. That'd be funny. Blow the Raiders up. That'd be great. Uh Justin Herbert could accept or could uh, de- de- uh you know ask for a trade. Yeah, right. That'd be great. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, <LOL. clears throat> I go. Brady. Hey, actually, actually, I'm still on the. Tom Brady's I, I, an interesting one. I forgot. Brady is still on the board. I've totally forgot about that. Brady is absolutely although, in the cards as the Dolphins' quarterback next year. Still, although uh, if he still is playing football. He looks bad. He looks bad right now. You think Just so? Like, Quarterback-wise, no. Okay. Like, <laughs> okay. Then I agree with you. He looks like a drawn-out like heroin patient. Yeah. yeah. 
physically he does not look great. The yeah, the problem he's been good. The problem right now is the Bucks are throw have a roster full of CFL wide receivers. Like that's their issue. Yeah. And their all lines yeah. grouped to shreds. Brady's fine. But he just looks like Somebody right in that old. household, bro. <laughs> he looks old. He does. Um, so, yeah, so you think that Tua, it's obviously going to be up in the air. If Tua can come back, then there's no reason to still think this can. This team can't be as good as we believe they could be. Um, yeah, I would agree. Uh, I thought there were a lot of good signs tonight. And with McDaniel at the helm, like you probably even think too with Bridgewater. So a lot of this, oh, this is what I want to bring up to you. With Bridgewater, it looked like a lot of offensive plays that were just dropbacks. It's kind of why, like, in the, so at the end of the first half, a couple of those drives, it was basically like any pass that was on first or second down, it felt was almost a wasted play because Bridgewater, there was no synchroni- like synchronicity or whatever the word is. Yeah, in, in the second half, pretty much all every first or second down was a run, and I think a lot of that has to do with short week, no reps, etc. So I do think next week you now you have the good news about this. If there's anything, you have ten days to build with Teddy, a, an actual game plan as, with him as the one, and I think there's a lot of stuff. Look, we have seen Bridgewater on a on a loaded roster with really good coaching staff and offensive weapons. Exactly. Look at the Saints a couple of years ago. We we've also seen Teddy on a horrific roster with bad coaching. Look at the Panthers. So I think we can get Or Broncos. Or Broncos, yes. So I think we can get Bridgewater like a well the the thing with Bridgewater was good roster, bad coaching. So now he's got both again. He's got good coaching and a good roster. So I think that there's going to be a lot of stuff that they can do that can make Bridgewater work. But obviously, again, if this is for the rest of the year, then this caps what they could be. Yeah, it definitely limits it. Where you were already somewhat limited, I mean, you saw to a whiff on a deep ball to Tyreek early that should have been a walk-in touchdown. Yeah, and Tyreek burned him. Burn the safety, the or burn the corner. Safety hadn't even recognized it yet. And to a, instead of getting the ball deep into the right, he underthrew it to the left about twenty yards. But then you obviously, but then you have other moments where he actually can hit some deep routes. It's very weird, fifty-fifty. Yeah. Plus, the wind tonight looked really kind of swirling. So I don't know if that had an effect on that exact pass. I don't know if I'm compensating or whatever, but. That pass, obviously, the one you're talking about was bad. It was like, God damn it, because it was a, it was six, especially that coming right after the drive when Edmonds dropped the touchdown that Tua could have literally like dropped out of the sky to him on a corner. Yeah, you look at it, and it should have been a walk-in, but it's what it is. So, all right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Any other NFL takes before I let uh, – let you go. Oh yes, I, I guess I'll just ask you. So I guess I just got to keep the Bills and Chiefs one and two the rest of the year, so everyone stops bitching, right? I mean, I just think <laughs> that uh, I wasn't even going to say that Bills or Chiefs should have been one or two. I do think they're probably the best two teams, but yeah. No, it, my reasoning for the Miami over the they had the most impressive strength of schedule wins. Yeah, that was a lot of the reasoning for it. It it wasn't anything else other. I mean, it was obviously like the fact that they won the games the way they did was impressive to me. 
And it was it, also a little bit of uh, I'm a homer and my team's good right now and I would have flaunted. <laughs> I also really do believe, though, if it was any other team that had that style of the way, like if the Ravens would have won the game, won games like that three straight weeks, we would have been like, oh, shit. Look at Baltimore. I think that it's slightly – I think it would have to be a different team. I think you would have to compare it to, like, if the Titans had come out and done that or the Vikings had come out and done that. Just because I feel like when you say the Ravens, I think of – well, yeah, they also have a superstar quarterback. That yeah, it's diff- no, it's different than because people either believe – like, either – people really don't like Tua, so it's like, oh, we can't believe a team with this quarterback can be actually the number one, even though my rankings isn't like, again, if my rankings is just who I think are the two best teams in the league throughout the entire year, which I do have the rankings somewhat set up like that, but it was also like a how you're playing now matters kind of thing. Records matter, but don't matter to an extent, like... I don't know. They're obviously not going to be one now. They'll probably be in the four or five range, depending on who wins and loses this week. Uh, I was just shocked everyone was back behind Philadelphia being number one. That was my only thing. Everyone really wanted to I mean, Philly. Wins are, wins are just about as impressive, and you have a quarterback with an offense that you at least They've been way more dominant. Enjoy watching. <laughs> Yeah, they've been I don't dominant. know. I've enjoyed. I mean, it's not just that I'm a fan. I've I've obviously loved watching Philly this year, but oh, real quick, since we're together, should we both apologize to Blake right now, or is it too early? It's. He's been great. I'll man. apologize. I'll apologize for saying that the Eagles' offense was extremely one-dimensional. He's... I will not apologize for not saying Jalen Hurts is elite. Because I still think he is a limited quarterback, but I do think that he is excelling at what he can do well. He's making he's making strides, and everything that offense does is perfect. Like like I say, they're I don't think any team in the league knows who they are like the Eagles do. Yeah, and that's what I love about they're, them so much right now. They're fun. Yeah, they're fun. Jalen Hurts is fun, and. Their offensive coordinator is awesome, and yeah, it is. And Blake gets to, and Blake has Blake rightfully does deserve to run this victory lap on us right now. He's just got to yeah, hope it he, doesn't he, go tits up. He gets to gloat a little bit. He now, does. I'm still not with him on Jalen Hurts being top five, but that's a whole different thing. I don't think he actually believes that. <laughs> I don't know. It's Blake. He might. I, I think he just believes that Jalen could win MVP this year, which then. Well, that was I was also on that train of that being possible. Yeah. But hey, you obviously were the one who went out before anybody and predicted them as the one seed and that I mean, they're the clear leader in the clubhouse for that. Well, that division's awful and the rest of the NFC doesn't have a standout that I think's gonna No threaten. And their schedule is favorable. They could def the thirteen and four for Philadelphia is absolutely on the table. Wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. That's where I'm at. All right, man. We'll let you. I'll let you go. I appreciate your time as always, my friend. It was it was an absolute blast to do this, and thanks for giving your your insight uh, as always. Yeah, of course. And we'll see you next week for some baseball. Get ready to fade this man, or just just ride him and until it ride or, him or until the wheels fall off. <laughs> yeah, ride him until the wheels fall off. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> thanks always. Thanks always, bud. Yeah, of course. 
All right, enough bullshit. You know what time it is. Sinister Six. It is 9.30 on a Wednesday. We have extra time to think about this. Matt got to speak in front of people, so he is well prepared. You are. He is in his real element now, ready to make some picks. Matt, how you doing, buddy? Welcome back. Welcome back to the Thunderdome. I mean, I'm doing all right. I mean, last week was definitely uh, one I want to forget, but here we are. Rejuvenated, ready to have a clean slate, and looking forward to some great games this week. Listen, all I can do is be a baron of facts, faithfulness, and truth on this show. And I'm hoping that I can give you and rub off on you some success after last week. And by saying that, I have guaranteed I'm going 0-6. And that means I'm going to tie you back up. Because remember, I had a very bad first week. You did. Turned around and had a really great second week. This is so, week, yeah, we are four weeks in. This is week five. Or no, week four? It's week four, yeah. This is week four. Yeah, this is week 12. No, we no, we know it's week five because we had one week that we tied. Yeah, this is week five. Uh, a five and one week for your boy. Let's take a look at last week's stuff. Um... The back door was open for your boy a few times last week. Florida, 10.5, covers the back door. Washington State turned a what would have been the worst beat in the history of God uh, God uh, in the history of God's existence into a great backdoor cover. And Arkansas uh, took took it home for both of us. You were on the wrong side of Tennessee and Oregon. You were almost and, and, go ahead. It's frustrating because I, if watching both of those games and you see what, how it played out, especially on the Tennessee side, like it felt like that that was going to cover no matter what was going to happen. So I Tennessee, was, I thought they controlled that game and it was like yes. So they did control it, but I wouldn't say that's a bad beat. That was that's the truest definition of a backdoor cover. No, no, like I'm just saying, like I'm not saying it was a bad beat by any means. It was just like. Watching the game, I thought, I'm like, okay, this is a for sure 10.5 cover because Florida wasn't matching anything close to what Tennessee was doing early on. And so the the Oregon – so uh, let me say this. The Oregon game was going to be horrendous beat. Washington State was up double digits all game. And then Oregon scores 22 points in what, like four minutes to go up 10. And then Washington State has the greatest drive in the history of my life to cover the 6.5. Now – I'm going to throw this at you, Mac. This is what you get for contradicting yourself and and turning heel last minute and going with Oregon because you could have been on the right side of this with me, but instead you chose not to be, and you were punished by having it in your grasp after not being anywhere close to the number all day. You had it, and then it was snatched away from you right when you thought you were there. <laughs> I don't really feel bad about that one, though. You shouldn't. It would have been horrendous if I would have lost that. Hey, I mean, that would have been a hell of a win for me, though, if that would have happened. So, I, it, it is what it is. Yeah. On the I'm N- more upset about Tennessee, so. That is fair. On the NFL side, Bengals uh, won for me, minus four and a half, without any eat, without any, any sweat. Mac, I have no idea why you took the Jets plus four and a half. I tried to talk you I, out I, of it. So I liked what they did the week before, and that's why I kind of rode with it. Well, you know. We were both – actually, no, you were two uh, You were two and four. I got to update your no. record. Ravens, we were both on the Ravens. 
and then uh, we're we both uh, the only ultra loss. We both had the Raiders. The Raiders tried to come back, but we were never even close to the number all day. So it happened. So you are, after review of the tape, Mac. Your updated record is nine fourteen and one after a two and four week, and mine is twelve eleven and one. We are back to five hundred. Which look, I will say this: if we can land between fifty and sixty percent throughout the year, when you actually think about your betting percentage, if you can live at fifty to sixty percent, <coughs> you're winning. So that is what we are going for with this project, with this uh, educational experience that we are doing uh, throughout the season. So we have six more games. We had some good conversation. Mac tried to throw some really bad ones at me, and I said, Mac, listen, principle. We have to live and die by principle. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know if we'll say that's bad. But... Okay, let me defend. <laughs> so when Mac comes to me and says – we should put Clemson and North Carolina State on. I said, Mac, principal would say we shall not bet a game that is going to be played in a Category 4 hurricane, or at least the ass end of a Category 4 hurricane. We should avoid it at all costs, unless we were just hammering the under, which is a very high possibility of doing so. But we're not just doing that. We're actually betting the line. Other than that, I think the only other one was the Lions, which, hey, I will say this. There's a really high chance already the Lions are pl- are on here next week, depending on how the market handles. Because they look, play the Patriots looking, next week, because I looked ahead, because I'm like... If we're looking for safe bets, the Lions are the safest NFL bet you can get. Yeah, but it's now... It, so, it's different. It was I understood the Washington one. I was on the wrong side of it. It was because I didn't trust it. This week, it could... Ver- it's The number is at way too of a backdoor line for a team that has still only won five games in the last whatever months since the beginning well, of last it. year. I, I, again, I totally understand where you're coming from, <clears throat> but like I'm saying this team is the best team when it comes to the spread over the last, I think, two years. So Now, should we have put Detroit on here last week instead of the Raiders? Probably, considering the number was around a touchdown. We probably, that it was one, six, yeah, it was six and a half. So. That was one. If I had to do anything over that Raiders game, we would have taken off. And if we would have put much more thought into that final game, which we did this week, um, then I think. In my defense, I put it out there. You said no. What, the Lions? Or are you talking about last week? Last week and this week, too. So This week, I shut it down instantly just because of where the number is at. This Last week, I don't even remember why I took it down. I'm I. I you I'm said no sure. more lions. That's all you said. <laughs> There's a really good chance they're going to be back next week on the. Oh no, because I think what you said was you paired the lions and the bears together, and I was like, we need to stop betting our teams together, like on the show. Like we just got, we got to <laughs> stop. We got to take a week off, man. We at least have to take one week off. So we did that, and hey, guess what? I went really well. Mac was rough. But you could have been a little bit better if you wouldn't have, like, turned heel at the last minute. You could have at least gotten a 3-3 three and three just on the Oregon game alone. And if you would have if you would have not believed in the Jets, you could have been 4-2, and two, and we both would have been cooking. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. So, we, live and, we live and learn. We do. All right, you ready to, get, you ready to make it rain, my friend? <clears throat> Why not? Let's get it started. Six games on the slate again. All of these games... 
Five of these six games are within three-point lines. We have one game that is juiced to six and a half that, oh, baby, we are both going to love. We'll get to that later in the NFL segment. Let's start. Mac, even when I, the first thing, the first game I brought to Mac on Sunday night during that catastrophe or great game, depending on who, what kind of football you like, Sunday night game between the Broncos and the Niners. The first game I sent to Mac is Friday night, Washington at UCLA, Washington minus two and a half. And Mac, when we reiterated it yesterday, he said, I thought we'd stay away from the weekday games. I said, Mac, this one is too good to pass up. And I hope you agree with me on this one because I feel like this is a fantastic spot and a fantastic way to get a – uh, get some Pac-12 action on here, as well as this is a m- game where I feel like the market is not catching up to where it probably should be. Now, if this is a game where we end up overvaluing Washington, I then, you know what, we live and we learn. But this is a UCLA team that, yes, they are also 4-0, and yes, they are at home. Granted, what is the home? There is no such thing as a home. I was field say, do you really do you really expect more than five thousand people to be at that stadium? Exactly. There is no such thing as a home field advantage for UCLA. I love Chip Kelly and I love what they've been doing, but but this is a team that needed a last second field goal to scrape a by South Alabama a couple of weeks ago. This Washington team, Mac, is legit. Two weeks ago, they played uh, Michigan State. And they absolutely thrashed them. Another game that we should have put on the slate two weeks ago, but we decided against it. Uh, This Washington team is legit. I think the Pac-12 in the top four is really, really good. And I think they have some good juice right outside of it when you look at teams like Oregon State. Even UCLA, who I think is solid. But I don't think they're a part of that that group of four up top when you have Washington, USC, Utah, and, of course, Oregon. But even Washington State hung with... Uh, Oregon all game, so Washington State's a team that's frisky. I think Washington's really good. I think the minus two and a half is a fantastic number to lay, even though on the road. I'm going Washington minus two and a half. Mr. Fulton, what say you? Um, I mean, I don't disagree here. Um, this Washington offense is probably one of the top 15 offenses in the country led by Michael Penix. Uh, we saw how good he was when he played for Indiana before he got hurt. And now the fact is, like, he he did the, look, you all forgot about me, but, you know, I'm back, and I'm back better than ever. And he has been phenomenal this year so far. He's been great. So and how about, two and a half is easy money. He's been great with cut coach Kalen DeBoer. That's a real team in Washington, man, and they have figured some stuff out, and they're playing at a really high level. Absolutely. So we are both on the Huskies minus the points. Moving on, it is Big 12 action. One of what could very well be the games of the day on Saturday. Where's game day at Saturday? Is it? I don't know. Oh, it's Clemson. It's probably Clemson. They're going to the yeah the hurricane. Yeah, it's fun. Um, number nine Oklahoma State plus two on the road at Baylor. Mac. We'll start with you. Um, this game is probably going to be game of the week. Uh, I think this is going to be the most entertaining matchup. A high-powered offense is going at it. Well, Baylor's starting to find their groove a little bit since that BYU catastrophe. Um, from there, I think the experience is going to come into play for Oklahoma State. 
they're they're way better. I think they're they have a better head coach. They're well, like this team is top ten for a reason. Spencer Sanders is he's not going to hurt you. He's definitely he's definitely the leader of this team, and he's putting them in the right direction. So I'm going to take Oklahoma State here. Okay, I did not expect you to be on this side because I agree with you, partner. Here's where I'm hey. at. Here's where I'm at the here. I don't think there's going to be any, you know, revenge thing where from losing in the Big 12 title game last year. That'll help a bit. But man, Oklahoma State I think's really good. I think they're the best team in the Big 12 right now. I trust their offense. Spencer Sanders this year has been really good. 900 plus yards, 10 to 1 touchdown interception ratio, which has been a thing he has struggled with. He has been more of an option for them than normal, and their offense is absolutely cooking. They have been just rolling this season. 37 uh, or uh, 58 points week one, 34 week two, 63 last week. This Baylor team, um, now granted they are also averaging 40 a game. Uh, most of that is due to the their uh two non-Power 5 slash Group of 5 games. Or they're not, they're two non-high-level games, Texas State, and they played, um, I, uh, I'm not sure who it was in week one, but they won 69-10. to 10. Last week, beating ISU on the road, only by seven, but they did control the game most of the time. This is a team that is going to be really good at running the ball, but we have seen that they don't really trust their quarterback in Blake, Sh- uh, Blake Shapin. And Spencer Sanders has been really, really good this year, Max, so that's why I'm really feeling good about Oklahoma State plus two here. I think it is a very, very good matchup, and I I expect Oklahoma State to be ready to roll. And if Oklahoma State can win this game, you will then put yourself already not just a game up on Oklahoma, but a game up on Baylor as well. That will be – I mean, you'll be – if if I'm not mistaken, if them – if they win, there's only the potential of one other team in the Big 12 to be atop of the standings with them after a week. So, big week for Oklahoma State. No, I think that's 100% true right there. I think Oklahoma State is by far the best team in the Big 12. Um, their offense is just unstoppable right now. All right. How about we stay in the Big 12, partner? Yeah, let's go to the second best team in the Big 12, right? Yes, you're goddamn right, Mac Fulton. Everybody loves the Kansas Jayhawks. They are at home against Iowa State and Kansas at home is catching three points. Mac, I have a question for you. There are two teams tied for first uh in touchdowns this season. Can you get can you name both of them? Kansas. Correct. I don't know why my mind's going here, but I think Ohio State. It is Ohio State. The Kansas Jayhawks. The only reason I figured that one was the case is because the Arkansas State game. Kansas, the Kansas Jayhawks, well, the or the Toledo. You mean the Toledo game where they scored seventy-seven? Well, yeah, whatever one they scored seventy-seven. Yeah, that was the game <laughs> I was thinking of. Yeah. Um. Hold on one sec. So the Kansas Jayhawks are fourth in the country in offense. They have the tied for the most touchdowns in the country at 27. This Kansas team is awesome. 
the fact that they are not ranked is a joke. The fact that they are road dogs against a team we're not sure is good in Iowa State is baffling to me. Kansas, 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 I really hope we're not bad luck. I'm going to feel bad if this is where they falter. But do, they're, why on earth are they catching points at home against Iowa State? The, the market has still not picked up on the, on the Jayhawks. I don't get it. This team is great. I'm Kansas plus three. Like, you can't give me another. You can't give me a world where there's another pick. Like, you can't give me a, a anything else that can take me off of Kansas here. I have no idea why this line is what it is. Jayhawks all day. So, the only thing I think Iowa State has going for them is they have they definitely have the advantage on the coaching side because Matt Campbell is a hell of a coach. This dude needs to be at a different program by the end of this year. Yeah, but let's, if hey. he's not, if he, if he doesn't go, that's on him, and he it's a it's a huge screw up in his career. I think his career path. Yeah, but it's not like it's some crazy big gap in the coaching match. Lance Leipold has one. No, I, I, I like uh, Lance Leipold's great, and I think us knowing how good of a coach he is is one thing because. We all, you know, we played Division Three football, and we saw it firsthand how good Whitewater was when we were there. And then, like, we still watched him because, oh, there's that D three connection. Like, okay, this we want to see this guy succeed when he got to Buffalo, and he did. Like, it was instant success, success at Buffalo. He really, like, he got the mark there for sure. And then now he's doing the same thing in Kansas. And this team is a very well coached, highly disciplined team, and they're just so fun to watch. And just how how much they are and I think the given Kansas the points at home is just you can't you can't go and not do that like that's a bet you can't pass up you can't tell me that there are at least 15 better teams this season that have been better than Kansas you can't you can't tell me you can't tell me that there are like 10 better teams this year than Kansas their resume you can put them with, with anybody in the country right now with what they've done winning on the road at Houston Winning on the road at West Virginia. Both of those games winning by double digits. Beating Duke yeah. last week. Like, they are absolutely rolling. And well, they don't have that high-quality high team on their resume, but they have three really damn good teams. Yeah, but winning by double digits on the road at West Virginia and then by 18 at Houston. People were telling me Houston could be a playoff crasher this year. And Kansas went there and beat their ass. Like, absolutely. Look, I'm just going to say this now. I think the game that we need to be circling on our calendars going forward this year is Kansas-Texas Tech. You think, why is that? I, I, they're, they're played the game very similar. I think they're evenly, evenly, like their talent level is pretty even, even. And, I'm like 90% sure it's in Lubbock, so that game is going to be nuts. So you're saying that is the watch out that might be 95-90 to 90 game? That's the – if Oklahoma State pulls a normal Oklahoma State kind of season where they slip up in the middle of the season, that game might be frisky enough that the winner goes as the second team to the Big 12 championship. Look, man, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that could be in play here. And the Big 12 – you know, we've people want to drag it. 
the Big 12 is really solid. And Kansas-Baylor, Kansas State just showed they're good. Texas Tech just showed how you know that they can hang. Oklahoma State, we just talked about them. TCU with Sonny Dykes has been really solid this year. Iowa State, even though we sound like we're crazy down on them right now, it's still a really well-coached team. Like Texas went healthy. It's a very good team. Texas, we knew they were going to lose a game like they did to Texas Tech because they're without one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Quinn Ewers. And then Oklahoma is still a team that has a viable chance at the playoff as a team like Baylor and Oklahoma State both probably do. West Virginia, well, they're West Virginia, but hey, we'll see what we'll, we'll they're see. they're like a, they're a seven and five ball club that's not gonna like they're never gonna give you an easy game. Not a, no. This could very this conference very well is gonna have all ten of their teams be bowl eligible. I wouldn't be shocked. All right. Anything else on our college slate here? No, I'm shocked that we actually agreed on all three. Oh, I thought well. you were gonna go. I thought you were gonna go Baylor there. No, I've been feeling Oklahoma State since you threw that one at me. Just so you wanted to throw Kentucky, Ole Miss. I think um, that would have been fun. Yeah. So here's the thing. There's just way too many questions. Okay. So we're okay. Like, is Kentucky good at all? There, but Ole at Miss, the same time, you're willing to put Tennessee, Florida out there. Well, last, no, like that—that's that, I, I, literally the same game. It's literally the same game. I had much more faith in Florida covering than I do any other sides in this game. It's—I'm just telling you that's literally the same game. So you would take—I'm guessing you'd take Kentucky. Yes. I wouldn't know what to take. I would probably just take Kentucky because it's like—is that—that's way too many points, right? But that, like, that was my logic there. But yeah. do I want to say I'm backing Will Levis? No. Fuck no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, the other one was we mentioned North Carolina State Clemson. I'm guessing you would have had North Carolina State. Do you think they can win? Yeah. Um, I don't know if they can win. I think they can at least take them to the – they can essentially do what Wake Forest just did last week. Um, I think three to six points would be the game, and – and anything that goes their way, they might flip it to a three-point win kind of thing. Like one change of the play, it might change everything. Well, we because all Wake think Forest, if, if Wake Forest wouldn't have fucked up on that last play, like they probably would have won the game. If they they, they would have got they would have gone for two and got it. I think. Right. Well, they would have had to go for two, obviously. Yeah, no, no, I'm saying like at that point, I think they would have got it because you had all the momentum on their backs at that point. So obviously, we all love Sam Hartman, but. I mean, everyone thinks Donovan Leary is better than him. So why can't they, right? Why can't they move the ball? It's going to be a fascinating game because the weather, the possibility of the weather playing a factor in a game like that, if the weather is a big deal, can they? That's where I'm worried because if it becomes a gross game, like are they going to be able to block Clemson well enough to move the football? That's my concern. I think if that game becomes more of a run game, Clemson owns them. Yeah, because might break the... Clemson's front seven is the real deal. Exactly. Bama, Arkansas is another interesting one. Just real quick, take on that. It's a lot of points. It's a lot of points. It is, but it, it yeah. If we were doing that one, I'd probably take Arkansas. I'm taking Arkansas. If, if, if I remember right, last time I saw it was 20 points. Right now I see it at 17 and a half. But the okay. reasoning I would be really comfortable with it is because do we know – Here's, okay, so here's why you could feel good about the points. Arkansas has to run the ball. Bama 
isn't really going to allow much on the ground. But we have seen the only team that Bama has played that is worth a damn give them hell for leather. Like, there's a world that exists where Arkansas could push them around a bit and and give them some problems. All right, so we'll take a step aside, take a break, and come back. We will have the NFL segments. Three more games left on the Sinister Six. We'll step aside. Be right back next. Make sure you tune into For Frequency Sake on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch each Sunday during the football season from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. The boys from For Fantasy Sake will be bringing the fire fantasy football takes, updating you on the week's rankings and injuries, and getting you ready for your fantasy football matchups each and every week. The show is interactive, so be sure to send your questions. You can find them at For Frequency Sake on Facebook, at FFSQC on Twitter, or you can send them an email at ForFantasySakeQC at gmail.com. In addition to bringing fire on the mic, the team at Four Frequency Sake is still bringing it online as well. Check out ForFantasySakeQC.com this season for college DFS, Survivor League, and betting advice each and every week of this football season again. That is for QC.com for college DFS, Survivor League, and betting advice each week during the football season. All right, we're back. It is time for the NFL portion of this segment. Three games down, three to go. We are on fire. We have agreed on all of these, but I think the Bucks going to change a little bit here. Let's start with the Browns and the Falcons on Sunday. In Atlanta, Browns coming in at two and one. Atlanta coming in at one and two. Browns are minus one and a half. Of course, coming off the elongated rest after their Thursday night game a week ago, knocking off the Steelers. Very well could and probably should be three and zero heading into this game on the road against the Falcons, who just got their first win of the year on Sunday in Seattle. Mac Fulton, we'll start with you. Browns and the Falcons. Uh, your thoughts and your take and prediction um, on the side of this game. This game is uh, this game is, is not a flashy game for sure. It's it, it's going to be an interesting one though. I think the Browns making the Browns have a long break in between from the Thursday night to now. I think they're going to come out a little bit sluggish coming in to this game. Uh, Atlanta's starting to look like a real football team, and they looked pretty solid against Seattle last week. Marcus Mariota has been a, a breath of fresh air for sure and helps stabilize that offense as much as it can be given, you know, they only have two other weapons, maybe or two or three weapons at most. Um, I don't know, Browns, man. The Falcons have – so I have – it's early in the season and there's a world where they start hitting a wall. But I'm kind of regretting my worst record take because – that offense and that team is kind of fun to watch. They move the ball. Oh, yeah. They got dudes. Yeah. They got Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Cordero still running all over the place. They're kind of running like a spread so, triple option. They are the epitome of a frisky team. They aren't great. They aren't good. They're frisky, though. That they, can, they can give people problems. And I think that's exactly what we'll see in this game. Um I think the Browns, though, they, their run game is way too strong. Um, when you have a two-headed dragon like 
you know, with Chubb and uh, Kareem Hunt, I mean, you, you can't – if you can stop one, you're not going to stop both. Um, and it's also been really nice to see that Jacoby Brissett, one given opportunities with some good weapons, he's actually a, a solid option at the quarterback position for teams. And I think that's going to be huge probably for next season for him when he's looking for a new place to be starting quarterback. So, so I'm taking the Browns here. Okay. So here's my thing. Now, this would be a stay away if this was anything probably higher than this number. The fact that it hasn't moved all week, I wanted to keep a close eye on it, and that's why we have we have added this game to the slate. This is where you are This at the simple fact. All right, let's play a game. What you most people, including probably us, would say, as fun as Atlanta has been offensively, Mar- Marcus Mariota and Jacoby Brissett are pretty much at the same level of quarterback play in the NFL right now. They are in yeah, the, they're probably in the so. same tier. The they're reason probably in, they're probably ranking in the like, like seventeen to twenty five range. There is no reason on earth that this should be the line as low as it is. Be, when you can just sit or just roster for roster, like the Browns have so many more blue chip red chip players than the Falcons do. This Browns team is really good, but people don't want to say that because they know that means they would have to admit the team that Deshaun Watson's going to play for in a couple months is really good. People don't want to talk about that, but let's. But we have to actually sit back and be honest. You have to actually look dollars look, to donuts. The Browns are really, really, really good. We can't. I mean, remember, Joe, everybody in the over-unders pod back a couple months ago, we're all in the same boat and saying if Jacoby, if Jacoby Brissett could right the ship and just make a tread water, which he's doing phenomenally at the moment. Um, this team has Super Bowl aspirations for sure tagged on them. If they can get to five and six by the time Deshaun comes back, which if you win this week, you're you got listen. Now, granted, after they have another game or two coming up, but then after that, they have like four or five weeks of hell before they get Deshaun oh, yeah. back. Their schedule is brutal. After the right before the month before Deshaun comes back, but what they're doing right now though is making up for that that stretch of hell because mm-hmm. three and one. What they're doing right now, you know, it, it looks if they can come out and everything, it looks really good, and that's about what we expected them to be after four weeks. So it's it, like exactly they, and again, it's why I even it's why I harped so much when they lost to the Jets, saying a loss like that could keep this team out of the playoffs in the future because, because again, without Deshaun, you had to bank as many wins as you could, and that Jets game, there was no excuse to lose. This is another one where you have to to try to win. Uh, obviously, they're trying to win in general, but I think the points where it's at, it's very favorable for Cleveland. Minus one and a half, even though you're swallowing points on the road with a quarterback that it's not in this. He's not inferior in this game, but it's still you're you're with a quarterback that you don't love. I think that is, you know, it's OK considering who you're who the opponent is. Browns minus one and a half. All right. This is, I think, the game, one of the two games of the week. Well, granted, there is a prior. Eh, there's a good amount of games this week that are really good. But I think very well the game of the day could be this one. The Jacksonville Jaguars on the road 
going to play everyone's darling, the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, granted, I, I love the Eagles right now, too. I just had to throw that out there. The Eagles are, are favored by six and a half points in Lincoln Financial Field. All right, so I understand that people will say they they try to use the six-point thing for home and away. So I can, to an extent, I can understand why this is a six-and-a-half-point line. I feel like this is also, though, Mac, a fantastic spot to back the Jags, the Jags c- playing really well, going to Philadelphia. Phil, this is is this the best team the Eagles have played? Could be. Is this the best offense they've played? Eh, I don't know. Minnesota's is good, but I think this one's going to have um, a little more dynamicness to it. Can I ha- can I make a statement there? I disagree on both of the teams that you just said that they played. What? Detroit Lions are the best offense that they've played this season. Well, yeah, statistically, yes. Statistically, I think firepower is there too. Stati- yeah, you got a point. You got a point. So the Jags coming into this game, I still think though. I mean, I think the Jags are better than the Lions right now. This team coming in plus six and a half is a fantastic spot. This is a game where if the Jags do win this game on the road, then we are like I already have been saying we need to start rewriting the narrative on this team because because it's the Jags. People aren't going to want to believe that they can actually turn around. If they win this game Sunday, Mac, then we are officially burning boats. We are officially tearing up tearing up news heads. We are writing new articles. We are creating new spots to, to lead shows. We are burying and then unburying leads. If the Jags actually pulled, go into Philadelphia and pull this game off on Sunday, holy shit, we got something on our hands here. I don't think they will, but in this world that we live in, they don't have to. They just have to lose by a touchdown or less. Give me the Jags plus six and a half all day, uh, every day, twice on Sundays. If I could do it twice this Sunday, I would, but I can't. That's almost illogical. Mac, the floor is yours. Um, This game is an interesting one for sure. I think Jacksonville is – they've definitely taken that step in the right direction this year. Trevor Lawrence has made his progressions like he needs to, and he's actually playing like the quarterback we all thought he was last year. So that's great. And, I mean, them bringing in Christian Kirk, I mean, it's been an instant connection between them two as well. Um, from there, I – Philly, I'm going to say, like, I have Philly as the best team in the NFL right now. I think what they do on the offensive side of the ball is probably the most impressive and most balanced attack you'll see in, all across the league. Yes. Considering um, they are, nobody can run the ball and at the moment throw the ball like them when you balance it together. There are teams yeah. better at throwing the ball than them, but they're, they're obviously better right than now, running the ball, too. I don't yeah. think so. Not right now. They're easily the best running team in the league. But not statistically, because the Bears are. But like right now, there's no better team in the league that can that runs the ball with the lo- level of line play, with the stable of running backs, and of course the quarterback running the ball. And the passing game has taken such a leap right now that yes, when it comes to just balanced attacks, the Eagles easily have the best balance at the, in the league. I think. So from there, I think I want to say Philly. I do. I think Philly is the. I think they are by far the better team of this game. I, agree I just too. think that 
Jacksonville is kind of on this heater right now in a sense where they're playing top-notch football. They, they're going to be able to match what they can do, and I do think six and a half is just way too many points. It's way too many points um, in the NFL against a team that we actually think is legit in Jacksonville. Not like, hey, they yeah, could so win 10 games this was, year, if it was, but we both probably if it would say... Half, if like, the, if, I think it... Huh. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was like, if this game was at three and a half instead of six and a half, I'd be like, okay, Philly, yes. But... Being six and a half is just way too much. I really like Philly to win the game. Um, I think it's going to be a three or four point victory for them. Exactly. But at the same time, I, I think Trevor Lawrence and them will do enough to keep this game very close. So, yeah, if this was at three and a half, four and a half, it would be a stay away because it'd be perfect backdoor coverage range. It's kind of like the Lions Seahawks theory we had earlier. Granted, those two teams, I think, are nowhere close to the level of these two teams, even though I think Detroit is good, but not to the level of, I think, what Jacksonville could be in what Philadelphia is right now. But if it was at that number, then this would just be a total stay away. But at six and a half against a team in the NFL, against a team that we think is pretty good in Jacksonville. And again, the point I was going to make back was, do we both think that they're going to be a 10-win team this year? Probably not. But this team absolutely can go eight and nine and win the AFC South. We're at the point now where if they didn't win the AFC South, we'd probably be a little shocked just based on what we've seen on tape through three games. I think the Jags are absolutely the right play here. It wouldn't be shocking if the Eagles covered, but it would be like, okay, considering what we've seen so far, we think the Jacksonville can at least – we think Jacksonville – and again, Jacksonville should be 3-0 themselves. It the, the commanders in week one needed two plays that were deep shots to win, and they got them both. In this league, it's a rarity that happens. Jacksonville easily could be 3-0 just as well as Philadelphia. Absolutely. I, there's no chance or buts about it. I still want to say I think Indianapolis will right the ship. They have all the pieces still there. It's just they need to get things. They need to be cohesive. They need bold, to get coming. I think that's a bold proclamation, brother. <laughs> look, man. Like I, I got. They have the talent to do it. I think they have a more talented team than Jacksonville at the moment. Oh, um, maybe, I but I don't know. I think. I think they'll find their groove. I think if it doesn't work out for Indianapolis this year, I think they need to have a, a they need to go soul searching and figure out do we need to find a long term quarterback? They need to fire their head coach. They need to fire their GM, who everyone thinks is a god. Um, Matt Ryan might be cooked. Yeah, not but good. All I, all I will say is there at least they weren't like Denver and back the Brinks truck up for their quarterback. Who was cooked and washed? Well, different circumstances. You can't blame Denver for backing the truck up for us to an extent. I I do though. I do because you you literally back the truck truck up for him without him playing a single snap for you. No, in hindsight, I do agree. I wouldn't have done it either. But I'm just saying, in the world that we live in, at least Russ was more of a proven commodity than Matt Ryan has been since 20 what 19, 18 at best, like. That's just math, my friend. That's just how the national. No, football I, I, I get what you're saying, but I mean, like the right. I, I was saying that it was the writing was on the wall for Russ last year, and Denver chose not to look at it. So that's on them. But here we go. I digress. All right, let's get to it. Our final game of the week: Monday Night Football, Rams on the road catching one and a half against the 49ers. 
I will go first. I'm going Niners minus one and a half, and I think, I mean, this is pr- easily, I know you're where you're heading here. I'm not trying to bury the lead. I know this is where the only game this week that we're going to disagree on, and the reason I love the Niners minus a point and a half here. Now, love it might be a stretch, but here's why I'm feeling confident about it. In this league, you try to do your best to back the desperate team at home, you know, in in the NFL. You do all you can to back the desperate team at home that's getting points, like AKA Indianapolis last week. It was just, you know, it was just a scary place to be to try to say, hey, let's put points on the Colts, who so far on tape before, even after last week, the tape still wasn't great. Like, you put, you see what they put on tape, and it's not been good. For the Niners here, I think there is a lot to people trying to say, you know, just think, Jimmy, last week was Jimmy G's first full week of practice getting top reps since they lost to end last year in the NFC title game. This is a matchup that has favored the Niners drastically over the years. The Rams have a lot of question marks. I don't know how they're going to block the Niners up front. Their O-line right now is abysmal. This could be a huge Nick Bosa day. This could be a huge Eric Armstead day. This could be a huge everybody that's on that defensive line day. I expect Fred Warner to have a field day. The Rams can't run the ball right now, so they're not going to be able to be balanced against this Niners defense. I think the offense will look better than it did last week against Denver. That's a tough spot to be in on the road at Denver. Who Denver, look, the Niners and the Broncos are the two meme teams in the NFL right now because everybody tried to say last week how the Niners were better without Lance, and even though I still to an extent at this moment think they do, they think they are, it was the perfect opportunity to laugh in people like that's face because the Niners looked like shit outside of a drive on Sunday, and the Broncos are the other meme team because Russ has been ass and Nat Hackett P.I. has been horrendous as a head coach. But when you look at the what the Niners played on Sunday in Denver, first week, like I said, of full reps as the one for Jimmy G in eight, nine months against a defense full of legitimate dudes and multiple guys who have all pro potential – that is a very tough ask, and I th- there were moments, again, that he was bad, but and that is what Jimmy G is. But, hey, I expect some improvements, and I expect them to, ha- to do better on Sunday. The only thing that worries me is that they don't have depth at the running back position. Um, Jeff Wilson is okay. Obviously, he is not the running back that Elijah Mitchell is. But all in all, the Niners are going to be desperate. This is almost must-win territory for them. If you go to 1-3, and three, losing at home to your divisional rival, who then puts, you, who puts them two games up ahead of you, that would be not season-ending, but it would be really bad. So that's why I am on the Niners here. Mac Fulton, take it away. Why am I wrong? Um, so this is the one game that you are right. This is the one game where we disagree. I think L.A. will win this game. I don't – I mean, yes, the defense for the San Francisco 49ers is still incredible. Their front seven is still very good. Um, but at the same time, I think L.A. still has a ton of weapons on the offensive side of the ball. Um, they've – yes, San Francisco has had their number on occasions over the last couple of years. But when it comes down to it, I mean, L.A. did win the last game against them. Um so I don't know, like, again, it's not like it's a huge thing, but, like, it is something in the back of their minds, like, hey, yes, we can beat these guys. Um, 
I do think anybody who says the Niners are better with Jimmy Garoppolo, they can they can uh, jump off a cliff maybe because I think Trey Lance is by far the better quarterback. It's just we have no proof though. Develop. We have no proof. He just needs time to develop. The theory is so. Here's the theory. The theory is absolutely, and this is what I agree with. The theory would be would have been in January. Trey Lance would have been developed and his ceiling would be higher than Jimmy. A thousand percent yes. agree with it. I'm just saying right now in the early stages of the year, yeah. they're going to be better off with Jimmy than they would have been with Trey Lance. I'm okay, devastated yes, right that now. Trey got hurt. But the, there's the case that the Niners will plateau. But then again, I think people who are also like, oh, without them, the Niners are fucked. It's like, dude, Jimmy was bad last year. And he Let's had a he, he had a he had to get shoulder surgery. He fucked his thumb up, and they were up ten in the second half. And if they win the Rams game, they might have won the fucking Super Bowl. Like, yes, Jimmy G has a ceiling, and I'm not yelling at you. I'm just yelling at people because I don't get it. It's like Jimmy G has a I ceiling. Well, I get it, and he's average. I get, I get what you're saying, but they're I, loaded. I get what you're saying. They don't need you, they, like it's okay that Jimmy G's their quarterback. So, so my thing here is, if you're willing to say Jimmy Garoppolo is the better quarterback of the two. Especially in San Francisco, how can you say that San Francisco and Jimmy Garoppolo were never in contact until start training camp? They, I, they were not in contact. I'm not like, they saying they did not communicate anything. So, like, no, I agree. People who think Jimmy Garoppolo would be a better option, like, how in the hell can you say that when he wasn't a part of OTAs, he wasn't part of any of that stuff in the offseason, and he wasn't expected to even be on this team, like? You can't say that. Like well, Trey Lance is the guy. Trey Lance is supposed to be the guy. Trey Lance is the better option here if he was healthy. He would be. I'm just saying it's. I don't think the fall off as much. That's what I feel like. I think okay. So I feel like there's two sides. There's people with agendas that just either don't like Trey Lance or they just don't like Jimmy G. I think it's okay to say the fall off at this exact moment isn't drastic. Even though, yes, you're right. Jimmy G didn't tr- do any training camp and whatnot. My thing with the Niners right now is, obviously, here's the thing. If they would have traded Jimmy G, guess what? They'd be fucked right now, and their ceiling would be what? 4-13? and 3-14? and 14 With a loaded roster and an absolute nothing at quarterback? At least with Jimmy G. The NFC, for what we know right now, is very average to who knows what it is. Like, there's teams that we think can be good, but we don't have much faith in the Rams right now. The Bucks' offense is injured to shit, and a lot of those pieces aren't coming back. The Eagles, we all think right now, is the NFC's best team, but at the end of the day, none of the guys on this roster, at least offensively in the coaching staff, have done anything worth a shit in the playoffs. Minnesota, same, more or less the same thing. So why couldn't the Niners represent the NFC in the Super Bowl? I just think people want to write them off when Trey Lance went down, it's like, guys, do you realize the NFC is stupid wide open? There's a legit world where the Niners, or not the Lions, or the Giants could make the fucking playoffs this year at like 7-10 and 10 or 8-9 and nine because the NFC, after a certain amount of teams, it's just not that good. So, like, it's just crazy how it's like, oh, they're fucked now without Trey Lance. It's like, why? Look, because you have I an agenda that think Jimmy G sucks? It's like, like okay, I, would, I get I it, but come on. With that sentiment, if they played in the AFC, because at the end of the day, if they were in the AFC West right now, that team, even with Jimmy G, they would still probably be sitting around four or five wins. 
No, I get that, but they're not. So no, no, I don't think of life like that, my friend. Again, I'm I'm agreeing with you, but I'm saying like that's the only way that logic works is if they were in the AFC. Yes and no. I mean, all right, change them in the Raiders. Like they're still going to win at worst eight games, maybe seven games. What's the schedule? Like we don't know what the schedule could be different considering. I mean, both um, conferences and, have and a. They, 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 both conferences have playing, an inferior division. They would be playing in a second place division, second place rocks on a schedule. They're playing, yeah, they're playing. That's what they're playing in the NFC right now. So they're already. I get that, but I'm saying, but the, their matchups are completely different. Though I'm saying that's my point. I mean, you're playing the best. You're playing the best division six times. Yes, that is that is an absolute fact, <laughs> an absolute fact. But they're already playing them this year, regardless. They already played Denver. They still got to play Kansas City, the Chargers, and the Raiders. Because they play the NFC, yeah. they play the AFC East. So it's like, I mean, I get it, but like, I don't think it's this drastic, drastic no, thing with I the Niners. But you're playing more AFC teams too. That's for my point being. No, that's fair. That is fair. But so, okay, so back either way. So this on this point, let me ask you. I understand you're with the Rams here. How yes. long until we start worrying about them? Because I feel like people are um, just trying to act like nothing's wrong when it doesn't look good. I don't so see. I will. Say, I will say this. Luckily, like everything is true. What we said about San Francisco can be said about LA. Thank God that they play in the NFC right now because they have the time. It's like Tampa; they're the same way. They have time where they can struggle right now and get a little bit more healthy than they can, and they'll come back and like I bet you like week ten, eleven. They'll look like a completely different ball club. And you can be 10-7 and seven and the four seed, which is basically what they were last year, and Bingo. go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Bingo. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm not – the reason – so I'm not worried about Tampa because I don't I, – hopefully Julio plays, plays to an extent. Hopefully you get Godwin back. Obviously the Evans was out because he was suspended. So all oh, that's fine, and their defense is much better than I expected it to be at this point. I didn't think they'd have that carryover still defensively, but for the Rams, it's like man, they can't block. They'd have no run game at all. Like we like we would like to think Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers are good, but they have to play Cam Akers first. How many? How many player? How many teams in the NFL would either one of those two guys be a number one running back on? Not many. The list um, is short. Probably say five teams at most. Exactly. Like it's not many. It's not many. And defensively, there's stuff there, but we'll see. Look, we'll have all to I'm see. saying is losing guys like Von Miller, that's gonna be even bigger felt this year by LA than it would any other year because that defense is already depleted a little bit. And you lose one of your better pass rushers too. So it's like, like, come on, like you guys needed—they needed to do something on the defensive side of the ball in the off season, and they didn't do it. Well, so, they did get Bobby Wagner, but granted, Bobby Wagner is a little meh. Isn't what he yeah, used to be? Yeah, it, but it's not. It, but he's not a premium position though. So it's like, like I'm talking like if you're going out to get somebody on the defensive side of the ball, you're either going to go get secondary or you're going to get edge rushers. Yeah, you would have liked to upgrade it. At, you Or not upgrade, but you at least would have liked to at least a status quo edge rusher. You lose Von Miller, and you kind of don't get somebody. fill that need. I'm with you there. I'm with you on that. Like, you could have – I mean, given at the end of the day, you got rid of your first-round draft pick. 
this year. But they so, don't like, give a shit about that. No, I'm saying, but you could have been in a position to get George Karofkis. So, like... <laughs> yeah, no, you're not. You, you're, you, had, you, had oppor- you, had, you had opportunities on the dra- in the draft. you go get guys who could fill a role. True. But, hey, I mean, they sold all those guys for a ring, and they won it, so they don't give a shit. Look, I'll power to them. I'm, I'm uh, for it. So. I will say this, though. If the Rams win this game, you're feeling as... Look, you can sit back then, and you're like, shit, we have all these questions about ourselves, but, fuck, we're 3-1. and one. Could be two games up on everybody in our division. I will say this. If they win on Monday, boy, oh, boy, they're feeling pretty fucking good. Yeah, they are. It's better to have a lot of questions and win than lose, and it's like, shit, we lost, and we got all this shit to figure out. That's why, <laughs> this, league is so fun. That's why this league is as good as it is, man. You have all those variables. Um, I love our card, honestly, when we agree on a lot, because I feel like when we agree on a lot, that means – there are a lot of lines that are not like gimmies, but it's like, okay, when we, when we both are feeling confident about something like we are this week on five of the six, I'm with, I'm, I feel really good. Now, and even the Rams Niners thing, it's not a, oh God, I think the Niners are so much better than the Rams. It's just a, I'm going to go with the law of nature in the NFL, desperate team at home. That's why I'm going with the Niners. I understand your I logic that. with going with the Rams, but that's my logic with LA or with San Francisco on Monday. So we are both on uh, to wrap up and recap the card. We are both on Washington minus two and a half. We are both on Oklahoma State plus two. We are both on Kansas plus three. We are both on the Browns minus one and a half. Both on the Jags plus six and a half, and then. I am on the Niners, minus one and a half, and Mac is on the Rams in the final game of the week. So, not much will be gained in the standings here, but I think this could be a really good week for us. Again, I really like when we agree because I feel like we actually kind of talked about it a little more. We confer, or we convey, we come together. I don't know, I like it when we have the agreement I'm not as worried, you know, and if that makes sense. I get it. I get you. It is a game where we try to, you know, have one win or the other. Hey, but at the end of the day, I think we're time, both trying to be good here. Um, at this time, I mean, we're just gonna, I'm Mr. Nickel and Dime now, so it's like I need to get little by little. I can't go for the home run right now. Exactly. That's fair. That's a fair point. Hey, let's hope. Let's hope that we. Uh, that one of us goes six and zero oh, because if that's the case, that means the other one of us went five and one. And regardless, and I'm fucking happy, my friend. <laughs> I'm fucking happy. The hell of a week for both of us if that happens. That would be the case. All right, buddy. Uh, thanks as always. We'll see you next yep. week. Deuce. This episode is brought to you by Clint's Draft House Pizza and Grill in Moline and Davenport. Chase away your Sunday scaries at Clint's Draft House Pizza and Grill. This season, located in the Belgium neighborhood of 7th Street in Moline, Clint's Draft House Pizza and Grill is home to some of the Quad City's best food and drink specials. On Sunday, there's no better place to be. Clint's is serving up 75-cent wings and $4 Bloody Marys all day. And is your favorite team playing in those out-of-market games? Well, you'll never miss a second of the action on one of their 10 screens with NFL Sunday Ticket. And after you've had your wing and bloody fix, finish off your football watching experience with one of their famous Quad City style pot pizzas. And folks, 
they know pizza. They've been spinning QC-style pies for the last 22 years. So make Clint's part of your Sunday football routine. Clint's Draft House, Pizza and Grill, 7th Street in Moline. And also, Clint's is now serving up their famous pizza and fried chicken on the Iowa side of the river as well. Clint's Pizza House and Chicken opens up daily at 4 p.m. so everyone in the Quad Cities can enjoy their QC-style pizza and Henny Penny fried chicken. That's Clint Pizza House and Chicken, 7th Street Moline, and 1601 West 3rd Street in Davenport. 